The Old Testament reading for this, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the book of Job, the 38th chapter. The Lord said to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. This is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the 10th chapter. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or, Who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, 
beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may or may not know the English musician Roger Waters, and that's okay. He was one of the original members of the band Pink Floyd, and then became a solo artist after leaving that band over some arguments. And in high school and college, I really liked his music. His voice had this certain desperate angst to it that certainly appeals to that age range. And he had these insights on war and politics that I just never heard quite put in those terms before. But the more I listen to his music, I mean, I still do today, but the more I listen, the less I like it. Because now... I'm aware of just how very anti-Christian he truly is. In the 90s, on one of his solo albums, he had a series of songs where he listed a bunch of things that he didn't like, and he lamented that what God wants, God gets. And everything bad in the world, he attributed to God. But of course, never gave any credit for anything good. And in fact, on a recent album, he wrote these lyrics. If I had been God, with my staff and my rod, if I had been given the nod, I believe I could have done a better job. And as laughable as those words might seem, I think he really means it. When you look at the full body of his work, at the interviews he's given, at the way he lives his life, I truly think he thinks he would do a better job being God than God himself has done. Which, of course, is pure foolishness. Consider Mr. Waters' life. He's rich, he's famous, but he's also a phenomenal failure. He is a failure as a friend to the guys that he started a band with because his feud with them continues to this very day. He is a failure as a bandmate as he hoped to destroy Pink Floyd with his departure. He's a failure as a husband because he's been divorced four times and is recently married on on his fifth one, which I'm positive is going to work out way better. But I'm sure he would do a much better job than God at ruling the entire universe. Now, before you get too comfortable and think that this is going to be a sermon that just takes aim at aging British rock stars, take a look inside your own heart. You may not have written a song about it. You have thought thoughts like this before, though. You've accused God of doing things the wrong way. 
You've assumed that you could do a better job than God himself at being God. I know you have. And you know that I have, too. Everyone has. Because everyone is a sinner. And all sin boils down to thinking that you know better than God. God says, thou shalt not. And we say, oh, but I think I shall. God lays down a boundary, and we ignore it and trespass into sin. God acts in our lives, and we shake our fists at him, and we accuse him of doing it all wrong, and this is the way that it should have happened. We pretend that if things went our way, life would be so much better for absolutely everyone. We think we know better than God, and we think God owes us something. Our Old Testament reading today is from near the end of the book of Job. Job, if you remember, was a faithful, God-fearing man. Satan thought that Job only loved God because Job had it so good. He had wealth and cattle and a good family and pretty much all the earthly riches you could imagine. Take those things away, said Satan to God, and Job will curse you and hate you. So God allowed Satan to test Job, to torment him in many ways. Job lost his wealth, all his livestock, all of his standing. Job's children were all tragically killed. Job himself was afflicted with disease that made painful sores cover his entire body. And through it all, Job had three of his closest friends and his wife encouraging him to just curse God, die, and get it over with. And while Job did not curse God, he certainly did question him. All throughout his trials, Job demanded that God speak with him, that God explain why all of this was happening when Job was such a good God. Job, like us, assumed that God was making a mistake and that God needed to be told how things should actually be happening. And in our reading today, God does indeed speak to Job but not in the way that Job was expecting or hoping for. God comes to Job not groveling and apologizing, not wringing his hands and saying, Oh, Job, if only I had listened to you, this all would have gone so much better. No. God appears in a whirlwind and confronts Job. He says in the verses just before our Old Testament reading, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. He comes to Job and says, You want to talk? Let's talk. Put your big boy pants on and look me in the eye if you dare. God then goes on for several chapters asking Job what it's like to be God. What it's like to create the world. What it's like to rule over all things at all times. Declare, he says, if you know all this. You see, God is unquestionable. God doesn't owe you an answer. God doesn't owe you anything. What God says goes, period. End of story. Whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not, God's word is almighty. It is authoritative and it is final. And as sinners, that annoys us to no end. 
We think we should have a say in things. We think we should at least get a vote or some sort of a veto power. We think that God should really run things by us to get our approval before he does anything that would actually have an impact in our lives. Instead of being under God's authority, we as sinners want to rule over God. We want to be God ourselves because we are positive that we would do a better job of it. But would we really? Would you really do a better job than God at anything? Sure, you're having some trouble juggling all your appointments and your schedules right now, but I'm positive you would be able to rule over all time and space better than God does. Sure, you can't mow the lawn without missing a few spots, but I'm sure you could maintain all of creation better than God. Sure, you can't even keep all of your socks together while doing laundry, but I'm sure you could sustain and preserve the universe far better than God could. That was sarcasm. Imagine, for just a minute, that you, as you are now, were actually God. Can you even fathom what a disaster that would be? Have you ever been misled and believed something that wasn't true? Have you ever spoken carelessly and hurt someone? Have you ever been angry at someone only to find out that you actually had no right to be? Now take all those mistakes, all those missteps, all the pain and the heartache that you have caused and put the power of God himself behind it. How many lives would you absolutely ruin? How much misery and devastation would you unleash upon this world? How long do you think the universe would even survive if it was held in your bumbling hands? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, each and every day of your life, you should thank God that you're not God. Even when your sinful nature bristles at the thought of God's almighty authority, give thanks that you don't have that power and authority. Even when you sinfully assume that you could use God's power better than him, give thanks that you don't have that power. You are mortal. You are flawed. You are a sinner. And as such, you are not perfect. God, however, is. And even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, we should give thanks that he and he alone rules over this universe. Even when it drives us nuts and speaks directly against us, we should give thanks that his word has ultimate power and authority. Even when we assume that we could do better, we should get down on our knees daily and give thanks to God that he alone is God. We may hate the fact that God's word has ultimate power and authority when it convicts us of our sin, but we should be eternally grateful that it does. Because if his word of law lacked eternal power, so would his word of gospel. And then we would all be eternally lost. We always question and resent God's authority when it conflicts with our lives, but we need that power in order to be saved. And thanks be to God that God's word, all of his word, has ultimate, unquestionable, eternal power. Though you are a sinner, 
Though you deserve only death and hell, though you have separated yourself from God by transgressing his holy word, God has spoken his word of power and might to forgive you, to restore you, to proclaim you innocent of all your guilt and all your wrongdoing. That same authoritative, unquestionable word of God that you resent so much is the very thing, the only thing that grants you eternal life in heaven. God has spoken his word of forgiveness, and it cannot be questioned, cannot be undone, cannot be superseded by anyone or anything. God himself has proclaimed you to be holy and righteous, to be his beloved child. His word makes you a new creation, and it cleanses you of all your sin forever. Not by ignoring his law or saying it doesn't matter. God's word is immutable, and it is not changed just because we don't like it or we can't keep it. All sin is wicked and detestable in the eyes of God, and all sin must be punished in full by God, who is perfect and just. But the punishment that our sin deserved, it was not laid upon us. Instead, it was laid upon Jesus Christ. When sin first cast mankind into death and darkness, God spoke his unquestionable word of eternal authority, and he promised to send a Savior, one who would suffer in our place. He promised by his unchanging word that he would take on our human flesh to take away the eternal consequence of our sin. He made a promise by his authoritative word of power and might, and that promise could not be broken. So when the time was right, even though it wasn't what the world was expecting, even though it wasn't the way that we would have done it, Jesus Christ, God himself, humbled himself to be born of the Virgin Mary. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that word continued to have all power and authority and might. He drove out demons. He healed the sick. He fed the crowds. He walked on water. He commanded the sea and the wind, and they became silent. He never ceased to be God, never gave up any of his authority and might. And yet what he did give up was his immortal life. He shed his blood, suffered and died upon the cross in order to pay the price of your sin, just as he said he would. And on the third day, that glorious Easter morning, he rose again from the grave to shatter the chains of death forever, just as he said he would. And by that sacrifice, by his merciful compassion and grace, you are forgiven of your sin. You are justified and made right in the eyes of God. God has spoken, and it cannot be undone, because his eternal word has ultimate power and authority no matter what anyone else might say. So, dear sinner, rejoice and thank God that you're not God. When your sinful flesh tries to convince you that you could do a better job, when you are tempted to question God and accuse him of doing it all wrong, when you think that it's not fair for God to have such unlimited power over your own life, stop and give thanks to God for the power and authority over you and over all the universe. Don't resent that power. Rejoice in it. 
For that power alone saves you from hell, spares you from an eternity of suffering and shame, sets you free from sin, death, and the devil. Thank God that you're not God, and thank God that he is. For he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is perfect in every way. He is your loving Heavenly Father who has given up absolutely everything to restore you as his child. He is God who has kept his promise to you and given you his word of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Don't resent his word of power and authority. Rejoice in it. Because in that word alone, you are given the unquestionable, eternal truth of your salvation. That in the cross of Jesus Christ alone, in his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.